0: Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So, before we get into the message, um, I'll give you a heads up as, as we're heading into a few weeks from now, Commitment Sunday. Uh, for those of you who maybe are new or, or haven't been here for a while. Um, this morning, I'm gonna talk about two things that we don't like to talk about. Um, money and um, prayers that don't work out the way we want them to. Um, so you can leave now if you want. Um, <laughs> but uh, in, a, in a few weeks, um, we have our Commitment Sunday, which for our church and, and historically what that is, it's an opportunity for us to, as people who are part of this body, to really seek, seek the Holy Spirit and, and ask God what he wants for us to commit for his work uh, in this church, in this local body, his work over the next year. Um, and uh, you'll get a letter this week. But you know it's interesting? Because it's always hard to talk about, or a little bit awkward to talk about that. And here's, here's why I think it's hard for Christians well for anyone to talk about money with each other it's because culture has hijacked money and giving in a way that has it has made it that is purely transactional and when you think about anything you do with money whether you give even if you charitably give anything you do with money there is a transaction that there's transaction that f- is foundational to that and here's, here's why that's a problem. Because giving, the way God has designed it, is not a transaction, it is worship. And unless we make that transition from transactional to worshipful, we will always struggle with giving. <laughs> And I mean, even even in church, we we think about it's much easier to give in the local church when the decisions fall in line with everything that I think that should happen. That's transactional. But God says when you give, it is not about a transaction, it is actually worship. Because you're surrendering something that you see as yours and you are recognizing the rightful owner of it, being God in all of His sovereignty, and so, so it's it's interesting. <clears throat> Read recently uh, by a guy named Leslie Newbingen, and he says, and he said this. I love this. He says, mission is not essentially an action by which the church puts forth its own power and wisdom to conquer the world around it. It is rather an action of God putting forth the power of the Spirit to bring the universal work of Christ for the salvation of the world nearer to completion. And that's really, in my mind, what when we talk about the function of our church and even Commitment Sunday and what we're committing to, that's what I think the heartbeat is. It's, it's not that we put forth some kind of power and conquer the evils of the world around us, but it's that we go forth with God, behind God, putting forth the power of the spirit to bring the universal work of Christ for the salvation of the world nearer to completion. And so you'll hear more about this in the coming weeks, but I would ask you to kind of just pray and seek God about what God's calling you to do and how he wants you to view what you do. If you have your Bibles, open to James chapter 5. James chapter five, um, I was reading and I found a, an article in Huffington Post. How many people have ever read the Huffington Post? Um, not many, like no one, come on. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, I mean, it's, it's you know where you go to get all of your information that you can trust. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, they were talking about prayer and uh, this, is, this is what I learned about prayer from the Huffington Post. At the end, prayer and meditation are like anything else in life. If used with knowledge, awareness, and the right intention, they can benefit you. But at the same time, they may may become counterproductive if they give you a sense of false hope and radical optimism, or if they get you into a blind group attachment mode. They are positive if they help you with having more focus, having motivation to find a deep meaning, become more moral, patient, tolerant, accountable, responsible, objective, and rational. Nailed it. That is prayer. That's what prayer is. Let me just throw that against, um, I think, a really great, succinct statement by Tim Keller about prayer. And I don't know if you can identify the distinctions between these Understandings of prayer. Prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praying his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. Very different ideas of what prayer is. (laughs) I actually love the statement that uh, the Huffington Post makes about how prayer can be counterproductive if it gives you false hope or radical optimism. Isn't that what praying to a sovereign God is? It gives you hope that doesn't make sense in light of circumstances and a radical optimism about what can be done. I don't know if that's counterproductive, (laughs) But, but it's interesting that, that, that the world has this idea of what prayer is. And, and I think that the Huffington Post understanding of prayer is maybe more indoctrinated in the church than we'd like to admit that it is. Because if you notice, the Huffington Post definition is all about us and the benefits that prayer gives us. But the biblical understanding of prayer is how prayer connects and humbles us before the Father. Here's the umbrella for the passage that we're going to be studying this morning. And um, I was just talking with a couple people between services. We could probably spend um, a month or more on just unpacking this. Um, So maybe in the future, keep talking about this. Um, But here's the umbrella, two things two things today in in the passage one shepherds are called to model faith that heals shepherds are called to model faith that heals and when i say shepherds that could be a person who is shepherding those in their own home in a small group here in this context first thing is shepherds are called to model faith that heals secondly The priesthood of believers, which is defined by anyone who's come to faith in Jesus Christ, the priesthood of believers are called to pray for each other in the same spirit and power of Elijah. So that includes everyone who's confessed faith in Christ. Those are kind of the umbrella things that everything falls under this morning in this passage. James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. James writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Two pretty simple statements and two pretty simple recommendations. Uh, and if I were to summarize verse 13, I would summarize it in the words, I pray. Um, not just i pray but but that's a personal thing so just to kind of personalize it i want you i want everyone to say out loud i pray okay go ahead i pray okay that's you that's you praying right so verse 13 basically gives this range of human experience this range of human experience it says is, is anyone suffering which is sadness typically That's kind of one end of the spectrum of human experience, sadness. And then it says, is anyone cheerful? Which is the other end of the spectrum of human experience, sad and happy. And then everything else falls in between those two things. And so so James sets up two categories. One, he says, is anyone suffering? That sad end of the spectrum. It's this broad application, all kinds of sufferings and trials that he's talking about. And really, when James talks about suffering or troubles or trials in his letter, the context is this, that he's talking about how we are called to endure suffering with the right spirit, with a divine perspective on history. That's what he's calling us to do when we face this suffering and trials. And so what he's saying is if any of you are suffering or sad, then I want you to pray. Because prayer, the prayer that James is encouraging is for spiritual strength to endure trials with a godly spirit. See, James is saying, look, if you're sad, then pray. And, and that's, that's if, if you walk with Jesus, then that kinda makes sense, that's somewhat intuitive. If I'm sad, if I'm having a hard time, I should pray. There's an urgency in connecting with God when we are in trouble. And so we were more apt to reach out to God when we're having trouble. And, and so then James gives this other side of it, this other bookend, and he says, is anyone cheerful, let them sing praise, which is just another way of saying pray, connect with God, communicate with God. And this cheerfulness is a state of emotion rather than an outward circumstance. It's not just saying if things are good, but, but if there is a, a happiness a cheerfulness, a joy inside of you, then pray. And I think it's important to recognize that it is there is less of an urgency for you and I to pray when things are good. Would we agree with that? Less urgency. I mean, not that we never think of praying when things are good, but it, we feel a less of an urgency to pray when things are like that. And so really what James is saying is there's this reminder to turn to God, especially when we don't feel the urgency in needing him. Because the reality is that when things are good, we feel like we don't need God as much. But the reality is that we need him equally to when things are going poorly. And so James says, and I love how he does this, he says, okay, you're happy, you're sad, pray. No matter where you are, and anywhere in between on that spectrum, pray. That is our that is our posture that we must be in prayer more than anything else. It's interesting how we've we've placed prayer at a very low place because we think more highly of actions and statements than we do prayer. And that's why our actions and statements will never be fruitful until prayer is placed above them. And so James says no matter cheerfuller. or or, or suffering, pray. Paul affirms this in Ephesians six eighteen, where he says, "Pray in the spirit on all occasions." James just takes it a step of clarity, saying, uh, "Here's what all occasions are: when you're sad and when you're happy." Paul also says in 1 Thessalonians five, he says to pray continually without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. And so, so Paul and James are very much in agreement that. What should we be doing all the time? Praying, regardless of the situations or the emotion that's happening. No matter the circumstance, the appropriate response is to focus on Jesus and remain in community with him. So no matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstance is, the appropriate response for you and for me is to remain Focused on Jesus and in communion and community with him. Because here's, here's what's interesting. In any situation that you're in, what can you control? Not what do you think you control, because we think we can control a lot more than we actually can. But what can you control? You can control your connection with Jesus. That is 100% on you no circumstance can stop you from connecting with Jesus. No situation, no event, nothing can stop you from connecting with Jesus. So you are 100% in control of connecting with Jesus. And so what James says here is that you are responsible for connecting with Jesus. So in all circumstances, no matter what's going on, make sure you're connecting with Jesus. And so really, we are called to pray for ourselves. That's the first thing. We're called to pray for ourselves. So then James goes on in in the next verse. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Simple enough said, we'll skip to Verse 16. I would really rather not talk about those two verses. Because how many of you have read these verses and have prayed for someone and it didn't work out? Anyone? This is a hard, heavy thing to talk about. But, if we're true to God's word, then we don't skip over things, even if they are uncomfortable. This passage is hard, but, but I, I think I'm at the precipice of beginning to understand why, and it's not really what I previously thought. So let's kind of get into this. He says, if anyone's sick among you, call for the elders of the church. Now, here's the thing that I think we need to start with. When we think of the elders of the church, we think of those with titles. I, I don't think that is exclusionary to what James is talking about. When he says elders of the church, he's talking about spiritual leaders recognized for their maturity in the faith. And, and, and here's the thing, people who are mature in their faith, who have influence and authority, do not necessarily have to have a title. And so, the elders of the church, of the church, not just an individual church, but elders in the church are those who are mature in the faith and growing in deeper and greater intimacy with Jesus Christ. So, first thing that we want to do is just maybe recalibrate for a second. To, to look at this to say, okay, this is talking about those who are mature in the faith. Because actually, there are a number of people who have a title of pastor who you would not want praying with you because they are not mature in the faith. Like, I can even look out right now and see people in this room who don't have a, ti- a spiritual title, but I would go to you to pray for me because of what I see as your maturity in the faith. So, In maybe these terms, I would call you an elder in God's church. And so it's natural to call on those who are mature to pray for us. That makes sense. Because those who are mature in Christ Jesus, it seems, should be able to discern the will of God and pray with faith that recognizes and receives God's gift of healing. So I'll come back to that in a second. But but James says he says call for the elders of the church let them pray anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I don't know if you've been part of a part of a moment where you've maybe gathered some people together and you prayed for maybe healing for someone and somebody has a little jar or a little bottle of oil and they put oil and 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 and, and the anointing with oil, it, it, there's really not great agreement on what exactly, why exactly we do that, but but it could be practical. It could be, again, in, the, in, in those ancient times, there was a lot of oil that was used for medicinal purposes, purposes still as today. It could be kind of pastoral. It could be a religious reason, maybe sacramental or symbolic. I would say that, that looking at what James is saying here, probably it comes down to this, that Anointing with oil is a physical action with symbolic significance. That, that as we pray, we set apart this person, we focus on this person for God's special attention and care in that moment. That it's, we, we, we do better with actions. We do better with participation. So, so we, we pray, but then we, we do this to kind of say, God, we're, we're doing this, we're focusing primarily here right now. And so what's, what's interesting is, is James goes on and he says this. He says that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. So there's this really strong statement there. And I wanna kind of hit the idea of, of his sins being forgiven. James is talking about physical healing here. And I know sometimes it's easy to, to, to maybe sidestep the hard part of this passage by saying, well, it's just about spiritual healing and it's, 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 it's not about physical healing. But, but the words James is using is talking about physical healing. And when he says, uh, if he has committed sins, his sins will be forgiven. Well, also, as we know, especially in this context Sin and sickness were often hand in hand. We, we know that like looking at the book of Job, how Job's friends were absolutely dead set convinced that Job had sinned and that's why these things were happening to him. And so it has to be sin. Now, what James says is if he has committed sins, God will forgive. So by saying if he has committed sins, what James is saying is that there could be a sin connection, but not for sure. There also could not be a sin connection at all. James makes it really clear that, sin, that suffering and sickness is not only a result of sin in a person's life, which kind of tears down the prosperity gospel, that, which says that, well, oh, you're, you, didn't, you didn't get better, you didn't get healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. James says, no, 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 sin doesn't have to be a part of that, and faith doesn't have to be a part of that person. Here, here's what's interesting is looking at what James says is the faith that is in context that is healing here is not the faith of the one who's sick, but the faith of the elder who's praying. You see that? So if somebody who believes a prosperity gospel says to you that you are sick because you don't have enough faith and they've prayed for you, actually James says it's their fault because they didn't have enough faith. That's the clear understanding of what James is saying here. It's a huge indictment of, of the elder. <laughs> and, so, and so it can't possibly be that. So, so basically, what, what is then the prayer of faith that, that, that James says will save the person and they will rise as I was kind of working through this um, a while ago, uh, a guy goes by the name of M was talking and he's one of the leaders in in the church in Iran. And he made the statement to a group of us. He said, in Iran, in the underground church, he said he and others in the church have walked up to people and told them to get up and walk when they have infirmities or all kinds of issues. And those people are immediately healed. When he said that, I kind of bristled a little bit because I see that not happening. But then, then, then the Holy Spirit directed me to, to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter three, and I remember the story because I learned a song in Sunday school years and years ago, um, and it rhymed well. And I don't know if the scripture actually rhymes, but it does. Some of you are remembering it. Um, but Peter and John went to pray, and they met a lame man on their way. I'm not gonna sing it, but that's how it went. But but in Acts three, you've got Peter and John, they're going to the temple to pray. And on their way to the temple, there's a road that... that that lined on the road are people who are sick, who are suffering, who've been born with disabilities, who have been injured and not recovered. And so there's just, the road is literally, it's, it's, it's not like there's one person who's struggling on the way to the temple, but the road is lined. It's, it's kind of like those different places in, the Modesto, in Modesto where people hang out with the cardboard signs. Like you know that someone's going to be standing by the no soliciting sign when you're leaving Lowe's, right? There's someone there, and 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 and, and then they're they're struggling for whatever reason. Sometimes they look like they have physical issues. Sometimes they look like they they're in poverty. Whatever it is, but but it's it's common, and they're there, and and there's people all over, and so there's people on the road to the temple that Peter and John. We're walking by. And so the text says that they came to this one man. He was a lame beggar asking, to, asking for money. And Peter looks at him and Peter says, silver and gold, have I none? That's how the song went. But what I have, I'll give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And it says, the lame beggar rose up and went running and leaping and praising God. Great story. And, and and if I mean if you believe that Jesus can forgive your sins, then you have to believe that, that 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 happened. So Jesus so so God through Peter healed this lame beggar on the way to the temple. What's interesting that we don't maybe catch in the Sunday school stories or even think about when we read the text is that again, how many of you maybe had this mental image in the back of your mind that he was the lone guy on the road? There was tons of people who had the same needs all around that guy. And you know what? They didn't get healed that day. In fact, they packed up their bags or just laid there overnight till the next day on the road to the temple. There was tens, maybe hundreds of people that James, uh, that, that Peter and John passed by, and did not say in the name of Jesus Christ, "Get up and walk." But one guy, they did. Why? Why is it that that, that James says the prayer of faith when you pray? will save a person and they'll be healed and they'll rise up and be cured. Why does that happen with maybe this person, but not all the people that I've prayed for in that context? And I think this is where the Huffington Post invades our lives and directs our theology. Because what that said is that prayer is about making me feel better and being better. But prayer is actually about connecting my will with God's will. And I think that the reason Peter and John picked that beggar wasn't because Peter was like, hey, I'm gonna heal somebody today, you're the lucky one. (laughs) I think what Peter was doing was that he had an intimacy with Jesus Christ and a connected surrender to the Holy Spirit that he actually heard who the Holy Spirit desired to heal that day for whatever reasons he chose to heal that person. And that when Peter saw that guy, Peter heard the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of him to say, tell that man to walk. And Peter obeyed. I think that James says, call the elders of the church, those who are mature in faith, the people who are so intimate with Jesus and surrender to the Holy Spirit that they are so on track with God, that they hear clearly from the Holy Spirit what work the Holy Spirit wants to do in that person's life, and then they obey. I think this isn't necessarily about getting my prayer of healing answered or not answered. This is actually about, am I a person who is so intimately connected with Jesus and so surrendered my will to the will of the Holy Spirit that I only act upon his movements and his decisions, rather than me trying to convince God to do something that I haven't really heard from him one way or the other. I think Peter heard the holy spirit say that guy. And so with ultimate boldness and confidence Peter said get up and walk. I think m in the stories that he's told is that he's heard the holy spirit says that girl and he's heard the holy spirit and he's obeyed and said get up and walk. This isn't something that comes from our ability or our wisdom or our greatness. It comes from being completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit. What is the prayer of faith then that, that, that James talks about? It is the prayer of faith here seems to be a faith in God who sovereignly accomplishes His will, that when we pray such, it is an overflow of our consistent dependence and submission to the Holy Spirit understanding what he intends to do. If that is true, I'm gonna say it probably brings no relief to anyone (laughs) because it doesn't fix our problem. It doesn't fix that we have prayed for someone and it didn't work out. What that comes down to, that comes down to an issue of intimacy and surrender and trust, which is really hard. So the question is, is do I really know the Spirit's voice and do I obey? Do I really hear that? Or am I trying to convince God to do things that I really want, but I really don't know one way or the other that he wants that. This is the second thing. We are, call, we are to call the mature to pray for us. We are to call the mature to pray for us. Verse 16. Glad I got to settle that for everyone, and now we're all happy. Remember, when you're cheerful or suffering, pray. <laughs> verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If, if, the first, if verse 13 is I pray, I'd say the next couple verses would be they pray. Verse 16 and 17 then, or verse 16, I would say, is uh, we pray. Because he says, therefore, the conclusion of all of this idea that he's throwing out there is that we together, as the body of Christ, practice mutual confession and prayer together. That, that yes, those with spiritual oversight or influence over us are charged with prayer but so is the priesthood of all believers called to pray for one another. And I love that it says, um, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. So the key is to find a righteous person, right? Here's what's interesting about that. A person is righteous by virtue of Jesus' forgiveness. So anyone who has come to Christ for salvation and has had their sins forgiven, has surrendered themselves to Jesus, has Christ's righteousness, and is a righteous person, their prayers are powerful. See, in society, we have successful people are powerful and influential. People who aren't successful, they're not powerful and influential. But in the kingdom of God, only the righteous person's prayer is powerful. And actually every person in the kingdom of God, because the way into the kingdom of God is through salvation in Jesus Christ, that means every person in the kingdom is righteous. Therefore, their prayer is powerful. Now, there might be the struggle of maturity There might be a struggle of intimacy with Christ and surrender to the will of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. But that's what it comes down to. See, prayer is powerful in the hand of the least in the community. And so the third thing is simply this. We are called to pray for each other. We are called to pray for each other. Now, James finishes his thought with this with an illustration. He says in verse 17, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah is one of the more popular figures in in Jewish history. He performed powerful miracles, prophetic denunciation of sin, He was a helper in the time of need and he paved the way of the Messiah. In 1 Kings 17 and 18, it talks about Ahab and Israel's idolatry and their sin. And so Elijah prays that God would send a drought and a drought happens for that length of time. And then then Elijah prays that it would rain and it does rain. And, And James says, we are... Elijah's no different than us. What's interesting is that Elijah is just like you and I, but there's another story about Elijah that maybe is more relatable, that reminds us of our connection, but also brings us to the place of saying that we're also connected with Elijah in that place of the powerful prayer. So Elijah has this big battle with all of these false prophets and Jezebel, and God does this miraculous thing in, in this plain. And so Elijah's victorious, but after this huge victory, he's terrified of Jezebel and flees for his life to the mountains. He gets to the mountains and he is he's retreated, he's depressed, and he's questioning God. He's questioning God's goodness, he's questioning God's sufficiency, he's questioning God's, even God's very presence. And so, and so God kind of responds to him. And, and so God shows up, but it says that God, God showed up in this still small voice and Elijah says, God, I wanna see you. And God says, no, Elijah, you can't see my face because you would die because I'm so holy. And so God, for Elijah's health and safety, put on a mask and showed up. I'm just kidding. That's not what happened. Is that too soon? Is that too soon? I don't know maybe. Um, anyway, no, what God actually did was, that was pretty bad. I only feel a little bit guilty, but I'm also really giddy inside because I did that. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> so um, God actually shows his backside to Elijah. And here's what's interesting is Elijah had major questions and issues with God But his life kept coming back to God despite his circumstances or his emotional state. Even in that moment, Elijah continued to be connected to God through prayer. And here's what we need to know from what James says, that just like Elijah, you and I can be connected to God through prayer, and that prayer is powerful, We can struggle, but we have to continuously pursue intimacy with Jesus and continue to surrender our will and lay down our desires, even though they are good, at the feet of Jesus and let our will be conformed to the will of the Holy Spirit. And listen to what the Holy Spirit says become accustomed to his voice, and obey what he says. What I came out of this passage with for myself is this, that I have a long way to go in maturing to be an elder of the church. That that I am satisfied to some degree with my intimacy with Jesus that falls way short of what James talks about here. And we've been conditioned by the forces around us to be satisfied and comfortable with a nominal level of intimacy with Jesus and being able to hear the Spirit's voice that is unacceptable. And that that what we need to then do is to characterize our lives with prayer, seeking deeper intimacy with Jesus and looking to discern the voice of the Spirit so that God can move through us in ways that resemble what James speaks about here and I don't care what anyone has told you before, this is possible. Because God is God. And we have settled for something less. See, prayer is the posture we take in all things, good and bad, exciting and scary. The prayer of faith only comes from the anointing of the Holy Spirit through a life that is consistently listening to and obeying the voice of the holy spirit so i want to leave you with just two things this morning two questions number 1 is this is prayer like a stream that runs consistently through your life a stream never stops it's never stagnant even where it pools up it's still moving you can't see it but it's moving is prayer like that in your life If not, what is one thing you can do, like right now, decide today, that would change that? That would be the beginning of changing that? Second second question is this Do you practice the presence of the Holy Spirit? Do you practice the presence of the Holy Spirit? And what I mean by that is do your decisions begin with a conversation with the Holy Spirit, or do your decisions begin with what you think is best? Do the decisions you make begin with a conversation with the Holy Spirit? Because if they don't, then you're not really practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know that I will ever clearly hear the Spirit's voice if I'm not practicing His presence. As hard as this passage is, I think it's incredibly hopeful and gives Radical optimism. (laughs) Because it says that there is the possibility that with humility and surrender that I can have a depth of intimacy with Jesus, that my will will be the Holy Spirit's will, and that I will be able to hear his voice. Not just if he were to say, go and tell that person to get up and walk, but go and tell that person what I told you this morning because they need to hear this right now. And that I could obey that. That's what's awesome. And we can all get there because of what God is doing in and through us. to ask the prayer team to come forward right now and after I pray if you need prayer this morning come up and ask for prayer but the other thing that I would ask you to do is this if you're here this morning and you are really struggling because I know that that's possible because this you've been disappointed you feel like you've prayed and God didn't answer or he said no if you're hurting because of that, I also encourage you to come up and let one of the prayer team know and let them pray for you. Because sometimes that's where it starts. Father, we come before you this morning and I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your presence and I thank you for the work that you're doing in us. And God, I... There's some things I just don't want to talk about because they're hard. But God, there're also things that are life-giving if we're willing to see ourselves the way you see us. So, Father, this morning I pray for those who are struggling. I pray that you would give them the endurance that you gave Elijah when he ran to the mountains. And that God, that you would show yourself to them today. God, even that they could see the, the tail end of your realm. God, I thank you that you've given us all we need. And God, it's so easy for, for me to pray habitual prayers. And empty prayers, but this morning, God, I pray that you would help me to pray from a position that comes from intimacy with Jesus and surrender to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at CrossPoint.